When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's returning guest is Paul Hyatt. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Stuart. It's great to be here. Indeed, indeed. Now, we've we've come to talk about your new film, Heretics, which is is playing at Frightfest 2018. Yes, really excited. And what is that? Is that, is that a European, UK world premiere? Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um, so world premiere, and you know I couldn't think of a better place. You know I've, I've known the Fight Fest guys for years, and my first film was an opening movie there. My last film was there, and you know I'd been there quite a lot in the past in my prosthetics career. So you know Fight Fest has been you know there in my life for so many years, like you know well over a decade. So you know it's always lovely to have your movie up at Fright Fest. Indeed, indeed. So for those people that don't know Heretics, you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what Heretics is about? Absolutely. It takes place in uh, 17th century England. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got uh, um, our uh, actress of, of the film is um, Hannah Arterton. She mm-hmm. plays a young woman called Persephone, who, um, basically without giving any spoilers away, she is about to be... Uh, she's in court. We find her in court. It's right at the beginning, so I, I can give this a little bit away. But um, she's basically about to be um, given a death sentence by um, a magistrate for the crime of witchcraft. And suddenly, this mysterious woman comes in, who is played by Claire Higgins, and she bartles for her life and takes her away to serve penance in a priory. And it turns out at this priory, there's an evil within. Um, so that's pretty much a synopsis. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. All, all good. Witches, 17th century. People are about to die, but then mysterious figures come in. I think that's, the, that's all set for a good story. But before we go into the process of, of, um, of how, how you got to come to make this film and how you got, went about making it, I want to. I want you to tell me first about a bit about yourself. So think back to maybe that trigger moment in your imagination, or how you remember being a young fella, as to where your horror journey started. Film, book, comic, conversation with a friend, stills in a magazine. What was it for you that began the journey as a as a horror fan and filmmaker? Yeah, well, there there, there isn't one particular film or particular 
moment or, or comic. I think it was more a time. I remember being, I must have been about 11 or 12 years old, 13 years old. And all, all the, all the, the movies at that time, everyone had, you know, a dodgy VHS, which, you know, you would hear somebody at someone's house has got a copy of Exorcist or, um, Memorial Wealth in London and, and stuff. And, and, you know, it's a real sort of remembrance of, of being a, an early teenager and watching all these movies and having this great collection of films like Memorial Wealth in London. The thing was a huge, huge influence to me. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was kind of like not just the video nasties, but anything horror. I, I, I just got this sudden thirst for just watching as many 80s horrors, you know, I love the Friday the 13th, you know, um, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets. Those especially, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, watching a Jason Borkey's movie and a Freddy Krueger movie. And, you know, then you, you watch the Exorcist and get proper scared. And it, it was just this kind of like, I suppose it was kind of like a diet of nonstop. I, and, and the 80s, you know, the late 80s, and it, it was a great time for horror. It really was, you know. And I literally just spend so much time watching these movies. I'd go out my BMX and come home and watch a few movies. And I was, you know, like like most teenagers, you watch a film like 30 or 40 times. Yeah. Um, it'd be really interesting to know if kids do that nowadays, because... Me and all my friends, you know, if you were able to get Exorcist or American Wealth in London or Robocop or whatever, you would watch it like so many times, like, you know, every weekend or every other night. Like, it's interesting to know, but that's another subject. But basically, it was, it was a whole thirst of wanting to watch these movies and just spending pretty much my sort of childhood watching these films and you know, from the age of 12, 13 to 16, 17, you know, having this nonstop misspent childhood of just watching these movies and getting really, you know, living that world, I suppose. And then, you know, the opportunity to, you know, go and do this stuff for a living. Um, you know, most people probably know I've got a background in prosthetics. So, yeah. It was an easy work, you know, it was obviously much easier than getting into directing. So I was just able to, I got into sculpting, I got into prosthetic makeup, got into creatures, got little jobs, little short films, features. And, you know, I had a 20-year career in prosthetics. But, you know, everything came down to also, you know, um, I was a huge Fangoria fan. Everything around that time, Fangoria was huge. Fangoria and Gorezone and those sort of magazines. So having this diet of horror movies, watching Fangoria, getting the Fangoria, seeing what horror movies are coming out and then going to your video shop and asking if they're going to get these little obscure horror movies. And I, su I suppose probably 99.9% .9 of all my money um, that I ever had between the age of 12 and 16 was really renting out horror movies from the local shop it pretty much that was it really now you've mentioned you've mentioned claire higgins of uh, of hellraiser fame and you've also cast mm. michael ironside of among many things uh, scanners fame 
what do you think that young horror film fan that you you describing just a moment ago would think about adult you casting those two people in your own movie? It, but young version of me would go out of my mind. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, I grew up in a Hellraiser movies and Mark Ironside, I mean, that was a childhood dream. You know, going back to Scanners and, and actually being scared of him in Scanners, mm. you know, and... You know, Michael Ironside is, is Claire's wonderful because she's Hellraiser, but she is, you know, evil Julia. And Michael Ironside had just, you know, you look at his IMDb and then you remember him from Starship Troopers, you remember him from B, you remember him from this, and then you start to realise, oh my God, he was a real, you know, part of childhood. And it was, you know, it was really amazing. So it's a, basically, you know, the fact that, you know, I think a young me would go, oh, my God, you've got to meet Eagle Junior, you've got to meet Michael Ironside, <laughs> you know, to, to actually work with them, I think I would have lost my mind. Do, do, you, do you think you should meet your heroes? If they're nice, definitely. <laughs> you know, I was very lucky. And, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, if you do meet one of your heroes and they turn out to be not a nice person. I can imagine that could be kind of quite soul-crushingly, you know, a horrible experience. And, you know, there's so many people that, you know, I admire and actors I'd love to work with. And, you know, thankfully, luckily, I've been, you know, very lucky. And Michael Ironside especially was an absolute lovely person. I mean, from the moment he got onto our set, like, you know, he had been on a plane, you know, he had done a you know, really long journey. <clears throat> he was jet lagged and he came straight on and he was nothing but nice. <clears throat> he, he, he would just talk about, he, he was very approachable to the whole crew. He would talk to everyone. And if anyone talked to him about a movie, he would go into a great anecdote and, oh, there was that time I did this and there was a time. And he'd be like, oh, and there was a time. And he'd be really, it wasn't just, uh, you know, I'm just, being nice people, it was, there was a real genuine love for what he did, love for the craft, and a real appreciation of people around him, no matter what job they did, from the person that got him his water, to the person that, you know, costed him to me, he was just lovely to everyone, you know, really funny, really nice, really generous of his time, you know, I just couldn't have asked for any more. Brilliant. No, and it's it's and it's it's when you when you hear stories like when I hear stories like that, you kind of go, "That's probably why he has got a long IMDb list because people like working with him." Absolutely, and you know, there's certain actors where you look at and you you see that they've been in everything, and you just think they must be a nice person because they're just getting used by everyone. You know, directors. You know, if they have a hard time with someone, they tend not to go back, mm. and they they tell so-and-so and so I do I, I really believe the nicer ones just you know get used all the time well look let's move on to let's move on to making your film now, that's lovely I, I thought that was a good segue from from what you were talking there about your childhood so I thought rather than go back to it I thought we'd continue so the, yeah. the, the you've you've directed Heretics and you've you've wrote the screenplay but it's not an original screenplay by you you've you've had a hand in shaping what was the original story comes from a, a writer called Gregory Blair, which 
for the purposes of the, I spoke to you just before we started. Gregory's a Facebook friend of mine on a, on a genre group that I, I contribute to and share share bits of information and and, sort of, and lots of times linked to the podcast when I cover genre films. So it was interesting to see him post about heretics, and I was and I, and I just said, "Oh, are you?" And it was like, "Oh, I I wrote the original screenplay for that." So, what was your journey from? How do you get attracted to Gregory's script, <coughs> and then how? Wh- wh- let's start there. Then how how did you come in contact with Gregory's script, Heretics, first and foremost? Yeah, well, basically, I got um, a, a call from the the guys at Temple Heart, um, mm-hmm. uh, Lyndon Baldock and, and Marcy Devanus, who uh, Lyndon and, and Temple Heart had um, financed my first movie, The Season House, and we'd had a great time and. You know, I think they, they really enjoyed it and, and, and Season House was kind of quite successful in its, within the horror community and, um, basically they said, come into the office, we want to talk to you about something. So I got there and that's when they gave me, um, a, a, a brochure they had had for, um, it wasn't called Heretics at the time and they said, we've got this movie, um, a script by Gregory Blair. Marcia um, had found it. I think she knew Gregory, and he had given Marcia the script. She she liked it. She saw that there was a really good premise there, and mm. they said, "Have a read of it. See what you think." And Gregory is US based, um, and I said, "Yeah, sure. Give, give me the script, and I'll I'll have a read of it." And <clears throat> I got home that night and I read it, and what instantly appealed to me was it was a period movie mm-hmm. and it was set in the 17th century and you know I love my period movies and I love you know creepy scary period movies and obviously my first film had been a war set um, movie second film had been you know a whale for me although saying that when I got that script I hadn't made how yet so mm-hmm. um, I got the script and I, was, I feel I was just about to do how, and but I just thought you know something I've got that I've got, um, you know I, I kind of really wanted to really do an atmospheric period movie, so you know I had a read of it and I think it was kind of the premise was there but it had elements that I, I kind of wasn't I wanted to really make it more grounded and realistic and I think at that time it had. No, Guns that were vampires, and it was a, it was it was a bit different. And I and I thought, you know, something like is it, is a really good premise here of a, of a young woman that is saved by execution, and she goes to a priory to serve penance. And it's like I don't want to say there's an evil there that she has to discover, mm-hmm. and turns out to be a battle for her soul. Um, so basically, what I thought was great is to, to have a character that, you know, she, she she lives in a time where young girls are getting um, tried and punished and killed for being witches. I mean, at that time, they estimate, you know, something between like sixty to 120,000 young women were killed for the, you know, suspicion of being a witch. And I thought, God, that's, you know, it's horrendous when I read that. But also... So this woman is in court. She's just about to get punished and, you know, you know, um, given an execution order. Mm. And then 
her only escape is to go to this priory. And in this priory, you know, she can't, there's no point in escaping from the priory because she's going to end up back on a run and captured again. And, you know, so it's kind of interesting, you know, because a lot of a, a lot of horror movies, you're like, well, you know, why don't they just escape? It's like, well, they can't because <laughs> there's nowhere to escape from. Um, so basically, I, 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 what I really loved, what I really wanted to do was just to create this seventh century world, this place of filth and, you know, people's education. You know, it's it's. It, it was a really weird, fearful time, those sort of the 17th century. And, you know, you know and, and everything about it appealed to me. I wanted to do a ghost story. I wanted to do a period story. I, I, I like my female-centric movies. And also, you know, what is going on, you know, with these young girls? Because when Persephone goes to the primary, there's other young girls there. There's a hierarchy of the older nuns. Um, you know, the, with the Reverend Mother played by Per Higgins, and there's, you know, the next tier of her sort of, um, the, the older ones that look after the younger ones, and the younger ones. And they're the younger ones. It's kind of like, you know, the, the hierarchy of school, the teachers and the students, and, you know, these young girls that have all been gathered from their sinful ways, all mm. shoved into this property. Persephone comes along. And she really does wild things up. She's a cat amongst the pigeons. She feels that there's a danger to her. So it all kind of kicks off from there. But, you know, um, the, the, going back to your original, um, question about, you know, Gregory is me and uh, Connell, who's, who was my writing partner on Heretics and who did Season House with me, we just read it and we were like, you know, where do you want to go from this? What sort of movie do you want to make? And, you know, we use Gregory's script as a kind of template. And, you know, the premise is always there, but we kind of changed it. We gave a mythology to, you know, the supernatural element that was there. We further developed the characters. We wrote all the dialogue. Um, and we kind of created the story. So so, so, know, so essentially the, D, the DNA is there. And then you, you go, you and Connell go around shaping it into the film that you can make and want to make, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, look, uh, the, 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 the folk horror is obviously a, a, a very a very big thing within within British horror's sort of recent history, and the two, I guess the two touchstones would be Witchfinder General and Blood on Satan's Claw. Is there, what, what, what influence do those two have on, on the story you've tried to tell, if any at all? Yeah, I mean, basically... Um, the, the, the kind of story works in the Hammer universe as well. You know, it's it was, you know, I was a fan of the old Hammer movies and you know things like Witchfinder General and it, it, it was a case of the story suited being a bit of a retro movie. Okay. And I I kind of wanted to embrace that. You know, there's a lot of story elements that you can see in there. There's a mysterious woman that in black. That you meet, there's a um, young boy who, who gets himself involved from the local village. So there, there are kind of quite a few elements that work in a sort of retro hammer type movie. And, you know, which I, in general I, I love. And it was just one of those things where I wanted to make 
uh, a, a retro movie, but you know, with, with today's contemporary tools, you know, there's loads of VFX and prosthetics and stunts and, and stuff. But it was nice to be able to have a retro vibe. I think nowadays it's interesting because you're always trying to think about trends of movies mm. and you know what's 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 current now, what's going to be current later on, and you know, like right at this moment, you know, socially relevant postmodern movies things like the witch things like get out things like hereditary that's all you know the trend at the moment and you know we, we made heretics before that and the one thing i really wanted to make was a film that you could really embrace the retro storytelling you know enjoy it's just a good fun retro style movie you know it's it's from, from from a shooting point of view, then, how what was your conversation like with? Uh, and forgive me if I pronounce his name wrong. Uh, your cinematographer Neil Os is it Osman? Osman, yeah. Osman, yeah. Uh, what was your conversation to get to try and get that kind of the retro feel in a period film? You know, there's two. There's like two things going on there, isn't there? Is we need to capture the 17th century, but I also want. To, I'm guessing you're saying with retro, you mean in that kind of late 60s, early 70s sort of um, sort of. Uh, horror vibe too. So, what's your conversation there with your cinematographer? Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it, it was more, more about the, the sort of retro of, of sort of seventies. Um, not not quite into eighties, but it's more that sort of seventies and just a bit before, like like you said. And I said to him, go and watch a, a bunch of these movies. And you know, I, I didn't have much time with, with, with Neil. Literally, I think. He came on right at the last minute, so I'd had in my mind what I wanted, but I, I made him watch things like Suspiria, um, you, you know, but th th there's a lot of touches in the movie, there's little moments of Dario Argento, there's little moments of, of Hammer movies, and, and I kind of, you know, like, even things like, you know, um, House of Gorgon, um, okay, okay. It, you know, and it was one of those things where I, I wanted him just to get away from current movies, you know, there was no point in what watching films like um like 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 new a, a, anything, you know, mid eighties onwards, I said to him, don't don't watch. Okay, Just try to watch, you know, the old sort of classics and you know, just look at the you know, the how how they were lit, how they shot. I didn't want to do anything that was shaky cam. I wanted to go for a more sort of classic look, loads of light beams, lots of smoke, lots of atmosphere, you know, lots of very unbroken steady cam. And then there's a couple of moments in the film, it, it starts off kind of quiet as a slow burn. So you can definitely see the retro influence there. Mm. You know, the, the kind of um, story elements from, you know, Hammer movies and you know, the sort of um, anything in the 70s, but also it kind of go, it, it kind of goes a little bit more faster pace. And then, you know, not not sure if I'm, you know, should be saying this, but it does go a bit full tilt in the last um, act. It, there, there's, there's a shift and you say, oh God, it's it's gone this way. Wow. Okay. So, I, think, uh, I think that's ambiguous enough. I don't feel. I mean, I should make the listener clear. I mean, I've not seen the film. I'm talking to this blind, so I don't feel like. I don't feel that gives me that gives me a, an anticipation, but it doesn't give me any specific. I think that's a fair point you're making. Yes, absolutely, and yeah. So, so basically, you know, I said to him, 
let's just try to shoot this as an old classic movie. Let's not get too in your face or shaky cams or, you know, and also um, too arty as well. With, With Season House, I didn't really go for the sort of arty camera work and interesting angles and stuff. And with how it was more of um, a, a sort of slick horror mm. with this one, I kind of wanted to go for more of a classic one and, uh, but just to embrace it, to, you know, light it like the old movies, you know, do matte paintings. What would, what that, would be, you know, what would be a, a sort of, if, 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 if you can describe it without, without giving any massive spoke, what would be like a signature scene say? For you to that, that when people see the film would illustrate this point you're making for them to look out for in the movie. What would be a, a sort of scene that could that encapsulates this idea of the of of the classic and of the of the horror British horror from a certain period? I, I to be honest with you, I would say the first fifteen minutes mm. is very is very classic. You know, we're in this old magistrate's courtroom with these big beams of light and. You know, the uh, um, Persephone, their Reverend Mother comes in and their journey, because they walk through um, a village and everything's in slow motion. You've got all the villagers watching them and you get that real feeling. And, and, and then they go, you see them walking down the, through this forest and then they get to the priory and there's lightning and there's rain and there's um, lightning illuminating this priory. And you watch it, and I could have done those things like, you know, sweeping crane shots, and I did it. Everything was just shot kind of quite classically. And I think that moment, then you come into the primary, and there's this sound of just this echoey and this emptiness of this um, primary, and, and the camera work and the silence. So, you know, it, you know, I think if somebody was shooting it, that these days it'd be a bit, bit more cutty and a bit more, you know, flashy. But I, I didn't. I actually stepped back as a director and shot it very, very sort of okay. classic thing, really. Yeah, it was now, just... Now, people... I, people, didn't, I was going to say, people that have seen your previous two films will recognise Rosie Day. In, yes. in Now, obviously, in Season House, she was mute and sent on this horrendous journey. In Howl, she was... A lot more gobby, for say, for my expression. So, what have you put Rosie through uh, in Heretics? Um, kind of halfway between a mute and a gobby <laughs> girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, me and Rosie, great movie, uh, great mates, and we love making movies together. And you know, she's in kind of like four of my movies now and you know I, I called her and I said Do you know something I think you'd be great for this um I don't want to say too much about her character sure because it, it it does go to a certain place um and you think it's gonna be one thing you think oh it's, and it, it isn't um but you know she has this great innocent looking face and something happens to her in there you think oh god you know you just put her through this um but you know she is she's great she's lovely to work with and her character goes you know i i, I mustn't say spoiler but it's 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 very rosy i i think rosy fans will love this and and your lead your lead actress is is uh, hannah arterton um, yes people who've watched the um the recent uh, 
what's he called? Harlan Coben uh, adaptation on on, um, on Netflix. Safe will recognise her face for sure. Um, so how did you get? How did you get? How did you cast Anna? Was that someone you went after, or was that someone you found through the casting process for that role? We we were going through the casting process, and funny enough, it was actually Rosie that said, um, you know. Have you thought of Hannah? And I was like, oh, no. She, we, we got Hannah in, and me and Hannah had a good chat about it. We did read really through, talked through it. And she was like, you know, and I think she had literally just finished shooting safe. Hmm. Um, and she was like, yeah, totally up for it. And Hannah was lovely. Um, she's really nice to her, but she really, she loved, you know, the fact that Persephone was not perfect and when she she's the hero but she's not perfect and i also like those characters that come in and they're not the perfect you know and, you know she when she first gets there she is the cat monster pigeons mm. and you think oh my god the thing she's doing she is causing so much but it turns out she's right mm. and you know hannah really went through it i mean we I think Hannah was on every day, and we were out in Wales um, with the harsh weather, you know, shooting freezing cold monasteries. She was covered in blood. She was fighting. She was, you know, it was pretty full on. Uh, but Hannah was great. I really enjoyed working with her. You know, working with her and Boaty was, was wonderful. And, you know, um, Hannah's obviously the lead, and she had a much um, longer shooting schedule. She was there every day. And yeah. it was... It was a hard one, you know, but, you know, I, I loved work with her and, you know, I've done another movie with her since. I've noticed, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, but no, she was great. She was really great to work with. She she understood the vulnerabilities of Persephone as well as the strengths. And, you know, it was it was one of those shoots where it's really hit the ground running. We had so much to do. It's a really ambitious movie and she really went for it. And, I was going to. I was going to say. I was going to say that's that's a. You know, you're giving you're giving yourself in, in 21st century Britain shooting 17th century Britain is giving yourself a huge variable you've got to get right for the film to work yeah. beyond just making a film. So what was some of what was some of the achievements you you made in terms of that period element that you're most proud of? Well, we were really lucky to have um, three particular head of departments. Um, okay. We had Julian Luxton, uh, who's our production designer. And he, I had worked with him years ago on the Da Vinci's Demons uh, TV show. Okay. And obviously, they were always creating, um, you know, the past with, you know, everywhere from Eng old England to old Italy to Peru. He, he was phenomenal in in creating, because um, I, I think he was the, the art director. He'd, worked, he'd been a major part of the Da Vinci's Demons, um, and he had access to all the Da Vinci's Demons props. He had, um, he knew everyone in Wales. He had worked all in, in art departments. He'd run shows. He'd worked in all these different art department capabilities and he seemed like the perfect person to take on hermetics and mm. he was he he absolutely you know we had loads of construction and building sets but he knew Wales like the back of his hand he knew all the the castles we could film in the ones we can't film in the monasteries he had access to the props he knew so he was able to really create the look and the world 
of Hamilton. We were really, really lucky to get him because, you know, production design is the most difficult thing. When you're doing period, it's like to, 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 to always fill your frame with all the relevant, you know, period details. Mm. You know, it was, it was really kind of quite, quite achievement. And, and Julian, you know, he did a phenomenal job. You know, we were building sets inside protected castles. And without him and the contact, without them knowing him, because we'd shot the Vinci's demons there, we would never have got all those opportunities. So that was great. And we had um, uh, 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 the makeup designer was Jacqueline Fowler. She had, you know, she's got those BAFTA nominations and RTS nominations, and she won BAFTAs. And, you know, she's a great friend of mine. And, you know, I, I got her to do this and she came on board and, you know, she, she, she's very much known for her, her, um, uh, period work. She's done Crimson Petal and Wyatt and War and Peace and, okay. um, you know, she's done Pole Dark. She's done lo- loads of, loads of period dramas. So she came along with that period drama, you know, expertise. And then we had Paula Hay who who joined forces with Patricia and Charles Nestor. And, you know, they did an amazing job with the costume. We got loads of costumes made. So we were very lucky in, in those three departments that they were able to give me the look um of heretics. I mean, that was, and then obviously, you know, being able to shoot in a real castle, being able to shoot in um, a monastery, that, that was great. And also the VFX, you know, I, although those films in the old days weren't VFX heavy, I was actually using VFX to give me an old kind of retro feel, you know, loads of lightning um, and um, rain and everything. I wanted to do a lot with the effects to give that look of sort of the old ways of making movies. And I think mm. Francis Ford Coppola did a lot of work in, in Dracula. I remember reading an article where they did a lot of VFX, but they were trying to do it in ways to try to not look modern. And I think that's what we tried to do with the VFX here, was to try to... Uh, you know, well, use. I was going to say, and... yeah, yeah. I was going to say. So, just one last, one last thing. That there's a little bit of a tease for those listening. Do you want to? Do you want, in terms of that VFX that you you achieve? That's sort of sympathetic to the the period in the setting. Do you want to give a a little tease as to something we can look forward to? Um, I think yeah. I mean, to be honest with you. There is one scene that I think is going to be a crowd pleaser scene, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, yeah. Seriously, it's not a huge spoiler, but it, there is a flashback scene mm. to what happened at that primary all okay. those years ago, and there I do really mix up old style and new style. That is a moment where I thought, you know, something I really want to do stuff old style, but there's a few moments in there that is using contemporary VFX to really pump it up. I think it's a moment where it's a bit of a turning point in the movie and you think, oh, wow. So there is a moment, and I think you'll feel it coming, and then then it happens. Brilliant. Well, look, good luck for the... uh, Well, not good luck, but congratulations and look forward to... 
the world premiere of Heretics at Fright Fest. And thanks for giving us your time on the podcast. Wonderful. Yeah, God, absolutely. I just realised it was 40 minutes. So it's, if you don't cut me off, I'll just keep on chatting. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.